0: What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. On Sunday, the Big Picture Podcast is going live right after the Oscars with Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins reacting to the top stories from Hollywood's biggest night. You can watch their reactions in real time or tune in later on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. For red carpet coverage and celebrity news from the night, listen to the newest episode of Ringer Dish with Juliet Littman, Kate Halliwell, Emily Wedemeyer, and me, Liz Kelly. Listen and subscribe to Ring Your Dish and The Big Picture on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Did you recover from the Oscars? I am. I'm still making sense of it all. It was great. Still riding high. Really love Parasite. Congratulations to Parasite. Congratulations to Brad Pitt. I really have been thinking a lot about your tweet, which was just Brad Pitt. And I think really summed up a lot of my (laughs) feelings about the Oscars and that experience. Thank you. Yeah, it was great stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Boring show, but like the highs were really high. I thought it was a terrible show in terms of its production and a lot of my uh, personal... Not even pet peeves, but the things I'm most averse to in the world, like live singing. Yes, there's a lot of it. Yeah, but I don't really care because the outcome was nice. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was historic. It was great. One thing, I didn't go to any parties because I don't do that. I I wish. I watch and then I podcast. I just want to note, I love fancy parties. If you're listening and you could invite me to some, I'm so available. I've just got, like, so much time Mm -hmm. and I will travel for a really good party. You will, actually. I have. If there's a good party and, like, you give me, like, Three days' notice, I'll come. Juliet's also really good at introducing herself to strangers at parties. I love talking to strangers at parties. Yeah, you do. You (laughs) navigate that, like, social awkwardness really well. Thank you. You are very outgoing. Thank you so much. I would also love to be invited to your party, provided that you have past apps. That's (laughs) one of my great passions, as we've discussed here on this podcast. Uh, You know, and past drinks as well are nice. I don't really need a specialty cocktail. Me a regular cocktail, but like if it's an open bar with the person who is making cocktails, that's really great. But you know what? Wine's fine. Past apps is great. And I am not as good at introducing myself to people, but I would love to meet some get people some wraps, in know? a controlled setting. Let's get you out there to get some reps. Especially over like a crab cake or a pig in a blanket or a coconut shrimp. I'm really fun after two drinks. Okay. I'm medium fun beforehand, (laughs) but really fun after two. I swear. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we could do it with your specialty cocktail, the Juliet. Oscars 2021. We're available, people. Anyway, we didn't go to any parties, but we followed them. Yes, we did. Very much so. Kind of a lame celebrity year. Like, there's not, like, a big picture that came, (laughs) ha There's not a big photo (laughs) that came from these Oscars that I feel like you had to see. The best, like, visual were the gifts of Director Bong at the show. Yes, and, and after the show yeah. and making his Oscars kiss. Director yeah. Bong it was the best it. part. Yeah. Yes, love, we love Parasite. But, like, other than that, like, nothing so noteworthy except that a couple of news stories have come out since. Yeah, I want to get to those, but first, can I ask you a theoretical question? I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but it's something that Sean posed to me on the Big Picture podcast and also that my husband, Zach, had asked me earlier in the afternoon, which Mm -hmm. I think means that they were both reading the same Twitter thread Uh but I haven't been able to find. Anyway, they were talking about how like 15, 20 years ago, the Oscars were like the celebrity event. And you had your Tom Cruises and your Tom Hanks, even though you have your Tom Hanks now and your Julia Roberts and your kind of global spanning, most famous people in the world were in that room. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of like, the argument is that this year there weren't as many famous, famous people. There are movie famous people, but it's no longer the epicenter of the celebrity universe. And and many of those super famous people only showed up for parties, where then they also couldn't take pictures. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, do you think that's an accurate assessment? Well, here are, like, the most famous people in the world. Mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian. Mm-hmm. The Obamas. Yeah. Um... Who were producers of American Factory, which is a tremendous documentary on Netflix? They were executive producers, Oscar-winning, and and that won Best Documentary. Yes, um, and also the alternative Oscars on the big picture because it rules. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> but you're right. The Obamas were not there. Yes, they were not. The Kardashians were not, but they all went to the after parties. Who else is really famous? I guess like Billie Eilish and like Ariana Grande. Sure, but Billie Eilish performed at the Oscars. She, she did. Who else is, like, in this mega-fame? Meghan and Harry, who apparently declined—we'll talk more about that, but they declined handing out the Best Picture Oscar. I don't know if I believe that, but that's yeah. what's been rumored. Yeah, that was my kind of response. Is like, I I think the statement of there aren't as many mega-famous people at the Oscars as there were 15 years ago is true. I just also think there aren't that many mega-famous people. It, it's what we talk about all the time, of, like, they're kind of, like, niche, really passionate yeah. celebrities. Yeah, and— Some of the, like, internationally famous people are, like, YouTube stars. And Mm -hmm. are YouTube stars—are we at the point where the YouTube stars uh, hand out Oscars? I don't think so. Yeah. So I think that if they wanted to make the show somehow more relevant or wanted to, like, give it new life, they do have to take a more, like, internet-y approach. And that's, like, doing things like doing instant nostalgia. Like, instead of just mentioning, like, the La La Land Moonlight Flub, which seems Mm -hmm. to be, like, obligatory now every year, like— It would be cool if they actually got creative and there were some kind of through line throughout the show that's not like Cheesy Academy, but more like, look, we made like a a series of segments about like a doc of something that happened that people care about related to the Oscars. Like they showed that or something like that. Something that just really breaks from the format and is like smart and different. I also think they should, if they don't bring back the host, I would like hand the show over to like John Oliver and his writing staff or something like that. And have them, like, think of creative ways to create entertainment within the show. Because it's such a slog. I mean, the fact that 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 Eminem performing was so noteworthy speaks it's, to the fact that, like, nothing else happened. It was also extremely random. And that's, like, the wrong kind of nostalgia, right? Like, yes. nostalgia does work. Like, we know that. It's a compelling way to create content. But that was, like, that was just so random. Yeah. And I think you're right that to the extent that the Academy is— acknowledging itself for its history or making new history. It's for, like, its mistakes. And for, even the Moonlight La La Land thing, if they were to mention it, it's kind of, like, in a self-flagellating way. Yeah. It's like, they screwed that up. Yeah. And it was memorable TV, but, another oops. Yeah. Another thing that would be funny is that they were, like, somehow ran back the selfie thing, which was really annoying and dumb at the time. (laughs) But, like, was memorable and, like, was a gag. Like, there's just, they need more of, like, a gimmick, essentially, to, to save it. So for you, it's gimmicks more than, it's memes more than people is what they need. I think they need the people in the memes. That's okay. why the selfie was actually kind of smart, even though it was stupid. It was annoying because it was like Bradley Cooper. And, yeah. Okay. But like, I would rather Bradley Cooper doing a weird gag than just him on the end of the front row and like getting no screen time as what happened on Sunday. Yeah, I think that's true. But again, I think it's like the meme is still more notable than him being yeah. in it. It's whoever you would put in, which is, I guess, a sad state. A sad commentary on on movie stars at this moment. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's particularly new. I just kind of think that's that's where we are. Yeah, I also think it's like the movies that people really loved, mm-hmm. aside from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was great for many reasons, but like very much because the three leading people in it are movie stars, movie stars, and glamorous and special. And I very much include Margot Robbie in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's my third in that trio. Yeah, obviously. Um, The movies themselves, like, were more, you know, you're way more of an expert on this than I am, but just from my position, like, I feel like they were, in many ways, more conceptual than, like, movie star-driven, except for, like, Judy, which was about a movie star. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And so we're in a weird movie actor moment. Like, it's a cool celebrity moment, but, like, the movie actor as celebrity is definitely changing. Yeah, and I I think that's perceptive that even the... They weren't franchise movies that were nominated, but they were about ideas rather than people. And that's been kind of the narrative in movies and in Hollywood for a long time, which is, like, it's Batman that gets made and not a person playing Batman, that people are following franchises and existing property instead of people. Which is strange because in a lot of ways, I think pretty much every other industry is so personality-driven yeah. at this point and is influencer-driven. And there is this idea where it's the person in front of the thing. And I'm not just talking about goop. The, goop is a great example. But, you know, name a business, and they're trying to be associated with a person because that's right how we all relate to things now is, like, through social media and through people. And this is, like, getting a little off topic, but I also feel like movies are – having a TV moment where the director, like the showrunner, yeah. is more important than the actors. Yes. And that—it definitely felt like the director night on the Oscars. Yeah. Which is a little bit, because director Bong yeah. um, is himself, like, a great personality. Incredible. I, mean, I think he's—I mean, he's a master. And if—see Parasite, if you haven't, and see his other films as well. I recommend Memories of Murder and Okja. But— he was also on the campaign trail. Like, he also kind of became a meme. Totally. Which is not to denigrate him in any way or take away from his achievements. It's a but, good like, job to him, actually. He was, yeah, because he won the campaign. He was so funny, and people were really invested in him. So, yeah, I don't know. I still like movie stars. Maybe I'm the only person. I like them, too. Yeah. Brad Pitt, again, I, well, one more time. Let's just say it. Wrap, wrap up Oscar season. Brad Pitt. I'm going to reenact my response. Him saying, This is for my kids. Okay. Woo! There it is. (laughs) That's literally what I did. I felt like I I knew it was coming. I believed in him. Yeah, we did it. I knew he was saving it for the hammer and he did it and it was beautiful. It was really great. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Really exciting. I just wanted to make one note. This is totally random, but on the topic of movie stars, last night I went to dinner at a formerly hip, no longer cool, still existing restaurant on La Cienega. Named Koi, which I don't okay. know I went to. Food was good. I'm like mildly embarrassed that I went there, but the food was good. I walk in and it's a weird scene. And there's a celebrity. And I was like, Is that David Spade? And it was. Wow. And then he was so he was so much higher than the person he was dining with. I was like, and not like marijuana, like physically like above. Yeah. And I was like, is he on a booster seat? And I think that David Spade was sitting on a booster seat last night at Koi. Do you think—sometimes there is—sometimes restaurants haven't figured out, like, the booth alignment, and so the booth can be much lower than the seat across from it? I don't know. It was really it weird. It also be people have different torsos and different— You're right. But you he's, know? like, a short guy. I don't know. I just think of, the, you know, his him in the blazer okay. and Chris Farley. All right. That's, that guy. That's a great— um, It was a great L.A. sighting. It was yeah. so perfect for the venue, too. It was just great. It was hilarious. Okay. That's all fantastic. Personal Oscar anecdote. season. LA Oscar is season ended. Full force. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can we do one more Oscar thing that happened? Of that course, was just absolutely freaking hilarious. Of course, this is the best thing. So, a notable thing: sitting in the front row next to Leonardo DiCaprio was his girlfriend of a couple years, Camilla Morone. Hell yeah! And close watchers of Leo will know that he typically does not bring his dates to award ceremonies. He often brings his mother, or he goes solo. And so it was notable that she was there. And then it came out. Just one question. Yeah. What kind of negotiating went into her getting to attend? I don't know. And I just want to say that language is very disparaging towards her, but I I think it is appropriate in this case. I took that as like a major vote of confidence in their relationship that she was there because— many others have not been allowed to attend the ceremony. And we talk about how walking the red carpet for a couple, you know, is both frivolous and silly and is also like a statement of intention. So if she wanted to be there, I'm happy for her and I'm happy for him. That's where I am. Liz and Kate of Tea Time pointed out to me they've been together for two years. And yeah. man does time fly. It does. That So I think that's It great. was just yesterday we had the Leo in the snorkel suit on the yacht, you know? That, that was true. two summers ago. Listen, being supportive of your partner is great. It is great. And I think that this is really nice. Anyway, I interrupted you telling the story of Camila Morone. To uh, Monday afternoon, Camila Morone's stylist, Micah Schiffman, gave an interview to InStyle. Is that a male, Micah? I don't know. Cause I I one of my favorite books is called Want Not. Okay. And there's a female Micah in it. And ever since I've like longed to have a daughter just to name her Micah. But okay. this is a male, this is a male Micah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Micah Schiffman told Instyle magazine he was giving the behind the scenes update on Camilla Morone's dress. And it turns out that she was wearing like a literal wedding dress. A wedding dress. She picked a dress from Carolina Herrera's bridal collection. And they made some changes to make it appear less, like, princessy or wedding-y. But my girl was asked to pick an Oscar dress, and she picked something from a literal bridal collection. Absolutely incredible. And I will never get over this for as long as I live. That is That is seizing the moment and seizing your opportunity. And I respect it. I want to say she looked absolutely beautiful. And... That's hilarious. It really is That's hilarious. Awesome. She did look beautiful. We talked about her on Ringer Dish, and we also talked about the color of her dress, about how it was kind of a blush, not quite white. And that would be a great wedding dress, now that I think about it. And she looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. It's such a funny, um, pardon the pun, marriage of moment and fashion. Yes. And it was just, it was fantastic. I just love the spot. I do you really think do. I bet he knows now. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think gets Leonardo DiCaprio riled up I, I uh, I'm not getting credit for things I, I wish don't the, know. I wish they had panned to him during Joaquin Phoenix's speech I'm curious okay. how he responds to Joaquin Phoenix's activism and like aggressive vegetarianism he just nods his head and says Leo? thank you thank you yeah and he, he's doing his like it was just an honor to work with Mr. Sorsezzi type thing throughout award season yeah so I'm sure they were just nodding public Leo so boring what else are you gonna do yeah. But you know who's not boring, Camilla Roney, who incredible. literally wore a wedding dress. Absolutely incredible. I I'm thrilled for her, and I wish her the best. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. You know who's also really um looks great. Brad Pitt's mom. Yes, they basically look the same age too. Yeah. Like so, I, now I understand he has like really good jeans. Mm-hmm, he does. It's like because yes. she. I was like, she looked like his contemporary. Now you're aware that he has good jeans. <laughs> It's now confirmed now that he is 50 plus years old. Brad Pitt, good genes. Okay, great. (laughs) I'm gonna miss Brad. I will too. I hope that he uses this, you know, comeback coronation moment even though it's not really a comeback to me. He was always in my life. But that he is now out in the world a bit more. And like, Maybe working a bit more and engaging with things that he's interested in. I hope he just doesn't go back into hiding. You know, the freeze art fair is over the next few days. Oh, I know. Should we just stake it out? <laughs> I have a friend who's going to be there, and I have already instructed him I have to text us all sightings. Can anyone just go? Can you just buy tickets? I think they're probably quite expensive. Well, it might be worth it. Okay. Just throwing it out there. Okay. All righty, let's move on. Big news for you. Yes. Your friend interviewed your idol. Yes. David Marchese interviewed Tina Brown for the New York Times magazine. Yes, he did. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you to David. Great interview. I thought so as well. I want to talk—we'll talk about the content of it, but the tone of it was very direct and British. And do you think this was incredibly wonderful editing to capture the tone of Tina Brown, or does she just speak in this declarative British way? even when translated to the page? I think both. I think that David's a great interviewer and I think he knows how to put these things together. And I do think that there is a skill in that. Yeah. You know, and not just actually how it's edited, but in preparing and knowing what to ask. I also think that like Tina Brown is Tina Brown for a reason. And it's because she has always known how to be forward-facing and to have ideas and to sell herself as well as the thing that she's working on. And I just think like she invented a lot of, modern magazine or formerly modern magazine, you know, because things have changed. But she invented a sensibility and a way of thinking about things, and that is from her head. So right. that's—this is this is what it's like reading her books, by the way. This is why I read the books all the time. I got to read them. Yeah. I, I, you got me the Vanity Fair. Pro- I did. I know. I'm going to read it eventually. Yeah. I promise. Um, one thing that is in the Vanity Fair diaries that's also in this interview is— um It's at the very end, and it's about Tina Brown's transition from running Vanity Fair to running The New Yorker. And in the book, she just includes one diary entry where she's like, I'm going to hire all these people. And then she lists David Remnick and also every single other person who is still at The New Yorker being The New Yorker. And to me has always read as like a, a credit for wanting credit for creating the New Yorker that it exists today is. because when she did take over the New Yorker that she got a lot of criticism and a lot of people being like you're ruining this storied institution. But that's also in the interview as well. Yeah. And it is she's like she's David a Remnick, funny. Jeffrey Tubin, yeah. Jane Mayer, all mine. Literally she says Jeffrey Tubin was like an assistant US attorney. Yes. Which, you know, it's funny. I, I I think that she doesn't get enough credit. And also, I find this, like, I did this all by myself to be, uh, I don't know if I would do that in public, but shout out to Tina. The other great moment for me in this, in terms of media gossip, which maybe no one else cares about, but I do, is that she very famously, she was at the Daily Beast and then tried to, they bought Newsweek, and she tried to, like, revive Newsweek. Mm. And David Marchese asked her about that, and she was like, that was a mistake I sort of liken it to sleeping with your ex-husband. It's like, this is great stuff. Great it's stuff. really good. And then she was like, it's called Newsweek, so you have to be weekly. Yeah. It's like, okay, good yeah. point. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, probably for this podcast purposes, the most interesting stuff is mm-hmm. about the royals. Which yes, it is. Which they discuss, and it was revealed that she's working on a second book about the royals called The Palace Papers. Which I didn't know. I don't know that this was hugely public. If it was, I missed the announcement. And this is how I learned about it. And that is, like, that is fucking Christmas in the Amanda Dobbins household. Yeah. And I think i am really happy for you. Sorry. Thank you. Congrats Thanks so much. Thank again. you. Yeah. I thought one thing that was particularly interesting, what she had to say about the royal family, was we kind of discussed this, that since the Megxit happened, there's been a lot more chirping up from the press about Harry's psychological state mm-hmm. and she really confirms it like she, like based the David asks are there emotional nuances to Harry's psychology and she just she responds that the deep wounds of his mother's death have never healed yeah. and that's something that we've been told and we've heard but I feel like that message got lost a little bit in the recent Megan years and then it came back a lot and a way to kind of understand why they quit the family. And I think hearing it from Tina Brown is like kind of like hearing it with like an emphatic exclamation point being like, okay, you're right. Yes. That's why. Yes. Because Tina Brown is sourced and she she knows people who knows people and has a real sense of what's going on and kind of and also has had a sense of what was going on since 1997 when Diana died. Her book, The Diana Chronicles, was written in, two, was published in 2007. So she has been reporting these things for a while. Related to that, I did want to point out another piece. Do you remember Airmail? Speaking of Vanity Fair, so Graydon Carter left Vanity Fair and started a newsletter called Airmail. I did not read it. Uh, I had not really been checking in on it at all because <laughs> it was for like obscenely wealthy people, and I'm and even I have my limits in terms of reading things that aren't for me. But there was a piece this in this past issue. I guess I don't know what we're calling that. Anyway, Dispatch <laughs> Dispatch by Vassy Chamberlain. And it was also pretty sourced, and a lot of it was about Harry's struggles and kind of mental mental health issues and and how he is working through all of those. So I think that is definitely a part of the narrative and it mm. seems to be coming from from multiple sources of of people close to them. Anything else from Bassey that was worth noting? I know, I think that was the main one. okay. it was it, it was good. I really recommend it. Okay. Tina addressed your big question, too. Mm-hmm. David asked, isn't the monarchy just going to continue to slide into irrelevance? Yeah. And she said something that really gave me a lot of pause and makes me nervous. Yeah. I think that there'll be an enormous national identity crisis when she, the queen, dies. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be a, a national. It'll be international. No, of course. I, I think, forgive me if I've quoted this before, but there is that great Guardian piece about kind of the preparations for her funeral by Sam Knight. And he points out that many people are like, the, you know, the quote, end of empire was... They say the end of Empire was Winston Churchill's funeral, but when the queen dies, like, it will be The sun will set. The sun will set. It will be a tremendous change in terms of how Britain exists and how it thinks of itself. Yeah, totally. And possibly for the better in a lot of ways. I mean, we're not here mourning the Empire at all. But it will be a fundamental shift. It's so weird. Change is crazy, Amanda. Yeah, I know. I really—I know. <laughs> oh, this was—it's a really good interview. You should definitely check it out. I also I thought what she had to say about Davos and kind of the point of Davos was really interesting. And I think it's just very difficult for professional women like Tina Brown to maintain their sort of persona, because—not because of their anything having to do their own fault, but just the way that society treats— Really everyone is the older, particularly Mm -hmm. older women. And I thought that she just had some really great pointed comments. And it was like, we need more people like Tina Brown speaking out regularly. She's just really, she's very smart. Yeah. I think one thing that's tough about her is that she was like one of the great magazine journalists and magazines as she invented them in the 80s and 90s, like, are done. Yeah. what she talks about. Yeah. Which is is nobody's fault. But so staying relevant as this thing that you spend your life's work on kind of transitions out. Must be tricky, but I think that she people's brains are valuable. She has a great brain. She sure does. That's where I am. <laughs> um, Tina Brown and Jason, let's talk about Megan and Harry's jaunt to the JP Morgan speaking engagement in Miami that they did last week for which they are getting significant blowback. Yeah. I have no problem with it. What, okay. What do you think? So my first take was who at the JP Morgan executive summit wants to be hearing from prince harry about how he went to therapy. That's kind of like I I guess I don't I don't blame Meghan and Harry. I mean I, the speaking tour is very common as soon as they announced that they were it's very leaving Clinton- the royal very family. Clintonian. Yeah, and that was the comparison you made and all of politicians do it. A lot of High-profile people do it. You know, I suppose they'll use some of this money to fund charity efforts. That's the most generous interpretation of it, but I'm going with it. Like, (laughs) who am I to begrudge them, I guess? But I don't know. I'm just sitting here. Why is J.P. Morgan paying possibly a million dollars for this? Like, honestly. It's for the same reason that Goldman Sachs played Hillary Clinton, and then they got her in trouble in the campaign. I mean, sort of, but Hillary Clinton, at least— yeah, she'd more Was experience. a politician. Like, Prince Harris never had a job. Yeah. I don't mean to—I'm not trying to stereotype or pretend that people at J.P. Morgan aren't interested in the royal family. I hope that we have very high-ranking <laughs> J.P. Morgan people listening to this podcast. I want you to know that we appreciate you and share your interests. But the point of these summits, as I understand them, is just money and how everyone is making more money. And how is a guy who's never had a job talking about his therapy going to help—like, I, I don't understand that. What kind of investment is this? I, I don't know, Amanda, but I don't know. These, these whatever. It, this like makes me chopo chop house that like suddenly JP Morgan is like, that got a giant bailout and is paying money to have like ex royals give speeches in Thank Miami. You, what are we doing? Imagine all the more upsetting people they've had speak that you don't even I know, know about. But I'm also upset about all of those. <laughs> I don't feel great about it. I know, but that is the world of high end speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. They've done it. But you know what? Harry and Megan. Making quick work. This is what they set out to do. Yeah. And man, is it in motion. And it was rumored that they stayed at um, Serena Williams' house in Palm Beach. Good for them. Her close personal friend. Sure, yeah. They're living the life that they clearly wanted to be living. I guess so. I'm going to spend my summer. I'm really looking forward to summer. Who's not? Trying to track them down. Positive they'll be in L.A. I would like to have a run-in. I predicted happening at the Brentwood Country Mart near the Goop store. Do you think that by the summer, they'll be able to be public enough to go to... Like, Bremwood Country Mart is paparazzi. Yeah, Ben Affleck goes there all the time. Yeah, so I, I do wonder whether they'll be able to do that, because they clearly don't want paparazzi. Maybe Malibu Country Mart's more like it, near, like, where the Levi's store is but and stuff. That pla- I mean, just parking alone, you can't go to that place. That we'll place get is a nightmare. they dropped off. I think they're going to be in, like, not in public. They will be in private places. And you know maybe private clubs, which maybe they'll be at the parties that you and I are going to get invited to. With the past invitations, twenty twenty, please, yeah. <laughs> I guess just don't invite me to your, like, Wealth Summit Conference, given my political views. I'm personally not interested in wellness. So, like, I also think that wellness and Wealth Summit conferences tend to go together. Sure, yeah. I'm interested in wellness to the extent that it means, like, I should be eating more vegetables and drinking more water. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'm not interested in, like, the wellness fad. So, like, I I don't—no thanks. I hope you enjoy your wellness, though, everybody. You know, whatever wellness is to you. Let's move on. (laughs) I just do—I don't know that they will— be able to be enjoying, like, a public L.A. life. I think they will go from, like, summit to summit and from charity event to charity event and from private home to private home. And I think that will be their existence. I don't want to be too unkind. Yeah. I think they crave that attention. I don't think they'll be able to go cold turkey. We'll see. I think that'll be really interesting. I mean, you know, putting aside their interest in it or judgments, at some point that attention is related to their long-term market value. Yeah. Because they are out here trying to be booked you're right. at the JP Morgan Summit, right? Yes. For up to a million dollars maybe. So they need to have people who are interested in them and the only way to have people be interested in you is to be public. I mean that that has been part of the conundrum of the royal family itself and certainly every celebrity. So I think I I think you're right. It'll be interesting to see how they navigate that and what kind of life they create for themselves. Yeah. Good luck guys. Good luck. <laughs> Next story, just a quick mention. Today Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union's child, formerly known as Zion, is now known as Zaya and using um she's using female pronouns and Dwayne Wade went on Ellen to address it and they posted some really really moving videos with Dwayne Wade and Zaya on their social media and I think the Wade family is just an incredible example. For everyone of just sort of your family is your family and the people in it change and evolve and they are like really putting so much muscle behind practicing like acceptance and love and I, I, I truly find it inspiring and I I give everyone involved so much credit and Zaya seems like a really really smart and perceptive and like lovely kid yes I agree with all of that and they have not just they have put a priority obviously in being accepting and in their own home but then just being tremendous ambassadors. Yeah. And it's been really moving to watch. It really and- it really has been and I don't think that professional athletics are often the most accepting spaces and Mm -hmm. most accepting sphere of the celebrity universe. So it's incredibly powerful for Dwayne Wade to be a leader like this. And I just find it so moving, and I'm really happy for Zaya that she is able to um, live this life. And I'm sure it will continue to be challenging for her, but I I truly—this is, like, so inspiring. I find it overwhelming. (laughs) It was really, really moving, and I— commend and I'm happy for all of them. Me too. There's nothing else to say. We just wanted to mention it because it's so beautiful and and truly inspiring. So great job, Wade family. And uh, I hope everything goes great for you guys. Yes. Love them. Just love Gabrielle Union so much. Um, Next, last thing of the day. I was fed an article via opening Google Chrome on my phone where they offer you great suggestions. Showbiz cheat sheet I could do a little bit less of, but I want a lot more of this story, which is from Artnet.com. The tag on it is Art World. It's just very broad. And here's the headline. Celebrities from Brad Pitt to Seth Rogen are massively into pottery. Here's a primer on bro Ramix and its colorful fraud history. <laughs> oh, my God, Amanda. This is amazing. So the leaders of bro Ramix are Seth Rogen, who does Instagram a lot about his pottery, mm-hmm. which I support. I love ceramics very, very much. And then it gets into... The one and only Brad and Leo. And it turns out this came out over the summer and I somehow missed it. Were you aware of this? But there was a whole article from then July. I think we talked about this and we were like, they do not do ceramics and get fat cells together. Like, I swear to you that you were on this podcast and we were just like, this is really nice. It was July 24th. I was firmly off the grid on July 24th. Well, we did talk about it, and I was like, (laughs) "I I, missed it." I respect this, but they are not getting takeout from Fat Cells and doing ceramics together. They're just not. This is what it says exactly. Just so everyone has all the information. Art.net News recently reported that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood stars Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio have been pulling late nights in Pitt's sculpture studio making ceramics and eating sandwiches. A source told The Sun, who first reported the news, that they sometimes hang out with Brad's artist pals. But other times, just the two of them, Leo, bring sandwiches over from their favorite place, Fat Sal's, and they spend their boys' nights creating art until the early hours. Oh, my God. Will he be bringing Fat Sal's to the Freeze Art Fair this weekend? Like, I just have so many questions. It's so funny. But this article is honestly... Ridiculous. It has many subheads. One of them is the archetype of the ceramics bro isn't new. And then they seem to suggest there's some kind of um, partnership between being uh, indulging in marijuana products and ceramics. And then asks, Sure is, there is. Sure. There's many things you can do with marijuana. Is ceramics the new yoga? And the whole thing is just so, so funny. And most importantly, it's a new variation on the art boyfriend trend. The art bro boyfriend who loves going to galleries and doing pottery. Yeah, well, there's the art bro boyfriend who is, like, in the art world. Yes, and like Jennifer is, Lawrence's right, dude. Right, and this is more of a hobbyist situation. The one thing that I will say, I have a lot of respect for Seth Rogen or anyone who actually does ceramics because doing ceramics, is hard. It's not really like hard. it's not like color me mine. You don't just walk in and think like, okay, well, here's my color story. It's actually physical. It requires an understanding of physics. It requires strength. It I think requires that's why the vision. scene from Ghost is so hot, is it's very physical. I have to tell you, I didn't really understand the depths of that scene until I actually tried to do ceramics. <laughs> and I was like, never one, I don't really think it's that believable because you are, it's You have to put so much physical... ghost isn't realistic? Yeah, okay. All right. All right. (laughs) It's a good point. But I just, like, you're putting so much physical energy into, like, shaping the pot. You can't be thinking about other stuff. No. That's where I am. Anyway, so anyone who actually pursues ceramics is, I think... Not really—I don't think it's fair to call him a hobbyist because it, it's not—you can't just have this hobby. It's really hard. You have to commit to it. I guess I'm just a ceramic school dropout and I'm really sensitive about this, but it's hard. So I think it's great. Maybe I, you should get some fat sales at a late night at Brad Pitt's they studio. They didn't do that. You know they didn't do that. You know that's a lie. You know we're smart about—I I hope they, I, I do. I do believe Leonardo DiCaprio loves Fat Salas. He's a Los Feliz guy. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. Fat Sal's is an institution, and it's really good at, like, two in the morning. I—no disrespect to ceramics, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Fat Sal's. You know I have a Fat Sal sandwich in my, in my office. I do. I support all of those things. I'm just saying this event where the two of them were like, let's do ceramics together in Brad's studio and <laughs> order Fat sales <laughs> never happened. <laughs> Do you think Brad Pitt's like an activity guy? He's like, and now I'm doing ceramics. I've demarcated three hours. Leo, it's ceramics night. Would you like to come over? No, I don't. I don't. I think that's like how I would structure my life. And I think he is thus, he's way too chill for that. He's just like, why don't we go? to I don't think Brad Pitt's doing ceramics. I think Brad Pitt's doing like more austere sculpture, if I had to guess. Got it. I think he's like doing things that require like sawing and hammering and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. Salt of the earth kind of stuff. Yeah. I nice. think it, he's—I it, think both for scale reasons and for physicality reasons, he's kind of more of an upright sculpture kind of guy. No disrespect to the ceramicists of the world. Every time you say no, no, no disrespect, I'm just expecting you to say no disrespect to Ben Affleck. <laughs> okay. Well, we've started and ended this podcast by discussing Brad Pitt. Feels right. There we go. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week.